Amen. It's a it's a cold day, and uh, on a cold day, a lot of times, when whenever people are listening to to the word, it seems that there's always that tension of wanting to be warm and wanting to to listen. Um, so there's there's a mind going to and fro. Um, so, but I'm I'm I'm. I'm asking you that even as we approach the word this morning, that our hearts will be focused on what God has to say to us this morning. The word of God is alive. It's, 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 it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of the soul and, and the spirit. It, it, it brings us to God. It, it, it opens our hearts and, 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 and shows us what is in our hearts and, and how we must be walking in the ways of the Lord. So let us... Um, look at the word of God as, as valuable for our soul and for our growth in Christ. Philippians chapter 4, verse uh, 10 to 13. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10 to 13. And I'm going to look at the subject of true contentment. True contentment. Let me read from the ESV as we look at God's word this morning. This is God's word. Let us hear him. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. Not that I am seeking of, I'm speaking of being in need. For I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and, and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this is God's word. Amen. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, indeed as we come before you, we remember your ancient words that are ever true, that daily changing us, O oh God. We pray that as we come to you, you'll impart your word in us, you'll draw us to yourself, you'll sanctify us, you'll um, shape and sharpen us, O oh Father, in your ways, that we may be drilled, we may be thrilled, we may be skilled to be those who stand before you and pleasing in your sight. May your word be spoken today in the Spirit's power. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, one dictionary com um, defines the word contentment this way. It says contentment is the state of being mentally and emotionally satisfied with things as they are. The state of being emotionally and mentally satisfied with things as they are. Now, as I think about this, I think about the fact of comparison. Comparison is the murder of all discontentment. When we measure our situations and our circumstances based on how others are doing in life, we grow discontent. And this is a dilemma that Asaph in Psalm 73 uh, found himself in. He, he looked at his life in comparison with other people. And from his perspective, he saw people doing well in life better than him. And this almost resulted in him forsaking his relationship with God. He says in verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 73, for as, for as for me, 
My feet had almost stumbled. My, my steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. You see, in our day of social media, social media is one of the catalysts for discontentment. Because on social media, everyone puts the best version of themselves, right? So whenever you log in, you find people traveling the world, eating the best meals, getting married, having the cutest and well-mannered children, getting promotions at work, starting a new job, losing weight, and, and other many seemingly awesome things they get up to. In fact, the research was, was made that found out that people who spend time on social media for the sole purpose of browsing alone through, through, other, people's, uh, through other people's profiles and what other people are getting up to display signs of depression because they see their lives as dull and without progress in comparison to, to others. So they grow discontent with their own lives. The same is true for advertising companies. The, the biggest secret is to capitalize on people's discontentment. They dangle before your eyes the ideal life according to the modern standards of this world and, and create in you the need to fit in, which comes with a hefty price, right? It comes with a hefty price tag, the best phones, the best clothes, best hair, best cars, and, and the best holidays. They show you how your life is meaningless without any of these things. And so when you see these things and you are absorbing them, you're taking them in, you grow more and more discontent because you don't have any of those things. So, so many people fall into the trap of this ideal life, which results into mounting debt. They, 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 they continue to... Uh, put themselves into uh, uh, debt and drown in debt. And after all that, you, after, after obtaining all that, you, you realize how contentment is an elusive pursuit. Nothing in this world is built to, to, to bring you contentment. In fact, to pursue contentment through material possessions, is to, it, it only leads to more and more frustration. It is the same as drinking seawater to quench your thirst. But the more you drink, the thirstier you become until you eventually die from dehydration. The question then is, how does, how does one find true contentment in life? And here in these three verses we just read, we learn what true contentment really looks like. We see three attitudes of, a true, of true contentment. Three attitudes of true contentment. Let us just dive into these attitudes. Three attitudes of true contentment. The first, we see it in verse 10. Uh, an attitude of contentment, we see it with a thankful heart. A, a thankful heart. Look at verse 10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me but had no opportunity. Paul mentions here that the Philippians revived their concern for him. This, this tells us of the holistic nature of the relationship that he had with the believers in Philippi. It was a genuine friendship that was displayed not only in spiritual fellowship, but also in meeting each other's needs. 
In fact, it was more than friendship. They, they were brothers and sisters in Christ. He uses that word very liberally as he refers to these people in Philippi. He calls them brothers, my brothers. You, you, can, you, can, you can sense the love that he has for these people because it was more than just friendship. They were family. They were children of God together. So there existed a real and genuine care for one another. So when they heard that Paul was in prison, their, their concern for him was revived. And this does not mean that they were not concerned for him before. We, we, we see this in the words of Paul when he acknowledges that they were concerned about him. When he says, you were indeed concerned for me, but had no opportunity. The most likely reason could be that there was no means for them to show their concern. The, the, there was a real lack of opportunity from their sight. But when they had the means, they were quick to help Paul, to, to be of help to him, to come alongside him. They had concern, they, they had the concern, but lacked the opportunity at first. Many Christians today have the opportunity, but lack the concern for one another. In, in, in terms of of helping one another in a tangible way, not in a way uh, of, the, of the guy in, in James chapter 2 who says, who sees his brother who is cold and, and hungry and says, be warm and be filled and, 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 and I'll pray for you. He, 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 he shows his concern only spiritually. It looks like spiritual concern, but uh, uh, what James says, he says concern uh, 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 must not end just there. It must also uh, uh, be manifested in a, in a material way. We must meet uh, the needs of others wherever we can. Where there is opportunity to do so, our concern must draw near to them. But what I want you to see here is Paul's attitude. He is a man who is displaying a thankful heart even though he's in a difficult situation. Regarding the gift they sent him, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. He is not complaining about, uh, uh, about the fact that he does not have enough or, or, or that he is not warm enough at night, but he, he sees the providence of the Lord in his life and, and responds with a joyful heart that is full of thanks. Even in the midst of, of his difficult situation, he has a thankful heart before the Lord. He sees God at work. He rejoices in the Lord, not in the gift that they sent, not that he's not thankful for the gift. He rejoices in the Lord that in his providence he worked through the Philippians to bring this gift. His, his joy is in the Lord. You, you can see that, that Paul, Paul's heart uh, was not a heart that was complaining. In, in the midst of the difficult situation he was in, he was looking to the Lord thankfully for every provision that the Lord had sent him. And, and just even imagine it, Paul is, is, an, is the most unlikely source that we can learn contentment from because he was in prison. And, and as prisoners, 
Uh, pr pr prisoners in that time were not like prisoners of today who, who watch big screen television and, 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 and sleep in warm places. Prisoners in, in, in those times had no meals that they were allotted. They, their families had to bring them meals. And, and Paul's in prison and, and he had, uh, humanly speaking, every right to complain. But we don't see him complaining. He, he rejoices. He, he has a heart of, of thankfulness. He's, he's thankful. There's an attitude of thankfulness in the midst of his difficulty. Why? Because he sees that the Lord is present in his life. A lot of times when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances, we end up questioning the loyalty of God and, and doubting his faithfulness and goodness in our lives. Paul, instead of complaining, sees God working all things for good and, and rejoices in him. The scripture calls us to an attitude of thankfulness. When you think about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, Give thanks in all. Listen to this. Give thanks in all, not in some, not in many, but in all circumstances. For it is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You see that? Again, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul calls us to beat anxiety with thankfulness before God. A thankful heart is a content heart. A thankful heart is a content heart. So we see Paul thankful. That the second attitude of a content uh, person, of, of, of contentment, we see is, is, is an attitude of a, of a teachable spirit. A, a teachable spirit. Look at verses 11 and uh, 12. Verses 11 and 12, Paul says, Not that I am, or, I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Notice the words that Paul uses here in these two verses he says, I have learned in verse 11 and verse 12, which reflects being taught through experience. See, he has learned, he has come to learn something. Again, in verse 12, he says twice, I know. I know, which gives us the idea of one who has gained knowledge. These words give us the idea that Paul saw his situation as God teaching him and he reciprocated by being teachable. He, he saw himself in, in that Roman filthy uh, prison cell as he was, he was there writing this letter chained to a Roman soldier. Uh, as he, he, he wrote this, he saw God present in his life and teaching him. A lot of times, what do we see? We see God uh, having deserted us, right? In our minds, we think God has deserted us because of the, uh, of the difficult circumstance or situation that we find ourselves in. We think that God does not care anymore, but, but Paul sees God presently in his life and actively teaching him. What should encourage you here is that contentment does not come natural to anyone. 
It is not a natural thing that magically appears. It does not come natural. Think, think about the Apostle Paul. He was without a doubt the, 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 an intellectual giant. He, he, he was a man devoted to the Lord, but he had to learn. He had to learn. He had to sit at the feet of Christ as a student of the word. He had to learn contentment. He, he learned. He says, I, I learned. And, and I know twice saying that to show that he was a student of the word before God. Steve Lawson explains this beautifully here. He says, what Paul learned is what you and I must learn. Paul did not learn this sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, the rabbi who schooled him in Judaism. He, he did not learn this by receiving one of the greatest education in that part of the known world. He, he did not learn this as a Pharisee of Pharisees. This is something that he had to learn in the school of discipleship with Christ. As experience reveals, this is usually learned not in terms of prosperity but adversity. This is a valuable lesson that Paul has learned and, and that we would do well also to learn. Paul says, I've learned in whatever situation to be content. And, 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 and in verse 12, verse 12 functions as clarity on what he says in verse 11. He says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In, in every and any circumstance, I've learned the secret, the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What Paul is saying here it does not suggest that one is to be without motivation to improve their life by trying to get a job or, or probably starting a business to, that will help, to, uh, help them financially. But rather, he's saying that the heart must not be controlled by, by circumstances one finds himself or herself in. In other words, your contentment must not be based on having abundance, Right? Your contentment must not be based on the fact that you have things and material positions and you feel safe in those things. It must not be there. That Your contentment must be present even though those things are there or they are not there. In any and every circumstance. When that is the case, it shows that your trust, when, when, when I mean, Think about it like this. When, when, when your contentment is in the fact that you have money in the bank or you have food in the, in the house, you, 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 you have a job, you, 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 you have things um, that, that are tangible, when, when you are content only because of that, it shows that your trust is not really in God but in things. Because if by some strange providence you, you lose everything you own, then you will lose contentment as well. Contentment will also go. True contentment is present whether you are brought low or abounding, whether you are facing plenty or hunger or abundance and need. In, in, in whatever situation, the heart must be content. Whatever situation that you face, the writer of Hebrews exhorts the saints of all time, and this is what he says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. He says, keep your life free from the love of money. Listen to this word. 
This is the word of God. Keep your heart free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you see why we, we, the, the, the biggest reason we, we, we are content? It's because he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Not because there is abundance. Because God has said so and, and because God is true and he does not lie, he will keep his word. Right? We, 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 we place our contentment not in material things that are passing, um, things that are temporary, not in things that can be lost, but in things that are permanent, in, in, in God himself. In fact, I love, I love this, this, this passage in, in the Old Testament. In Joshua um, when after God promised them the, the, prom, the promised land in Canaan, and Moses dies, and Joshua takes um, leadership from, from, from Moses, and he leads the children of Israel into, into Canaan. And, and when they arrive in Canaan, they start to divide, and they, they start to conquer and divide the land. As, as they conquer and divide the land among themselves, around, among the, the children of Israel, and, and uh, uh, every tribe taking their portion, God comes and says, do not give Levi an inheritance of the land. And he says, I'm sure Levi was like, what? Why not? And God says, because I will be his inheritance. Christians, do not worry about the inheritance of this world, even though they have it, even if they don't have it. Their biggest and most, most amazing, highest inheritance is God himself. He, he, he is our inheritance. So Paul says, as we, we, we read this, we, we see that uh, 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 attitudes of contentment is one who has, a, who has a thankful heart. And secondly, one who, who has a teachable spirit, who, who, who whenever they are in, in a difficulty, the, the question that they ask is not, God, why have you left me? It's God, what are you teaching me? That is the question. What are you teaching me? And, and, and thirdly, the, the attitude... Of, 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 of contentment, uh, uh, the third attitude is dependence on Christ. De dependence on Christ. Just look at that verse. Verse that is well known, but a lot of times taken out of context. Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Dependence on Christ. Here we find the lesson that Paul learned about contentment in verses 11 and 12. The word that he uses, therefore contentment in verse 11, is not a familiar New Testament word. It is actually used only there um, in the Greek. It, it, originally, it originally meant to be self-sufficient. The, the, there was a group of philosophers called the Stoics 
who, who used that word. They, they, they prided themselves in being self-sufficient. And so Paul uses this word, but he doesn't use it in the way that they use it. Because if he was using it in, 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 in this way, and we would stop at verses 11 and 12, Paul would be the hero of the story, right? All the spotlight would be, would go to him as a great man of sacrifice. And that's what the, the, the philosophers, the, the Stoic philosophers wanted to be known as. They wanted to be known as men of sacrifice, men of courage. And Paul is well aware that that could be the conclusion in the minds of the Philippians. That they could be thinking, wow, Paul is amazing. Paul is such a great man. He, he didn't want that. Paul never wanted to eclipse Christ. He, he wanted Christ to be exalted and glorified in every circumstance of his life. So he says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This functions to show that the strength to be content in any and every situation is not a natural thing that happens to an individual. It does not come from the strength of the individual. The heart that is content is the heart that depends on Christ. That is Paul's point. He doesn't just say, I can do all things. Like the, the, the man-centered maxim that says, you can do anything you want as long as you put your mind to it. Paul is not saying that. He, he, he does not leave it there where he says, I can do all things. Because if he just leaves it there and says, I can do all things, it, it is no different from a, a man who does not know Christ. It is, it is no different from a man who, who is walking in his own uh, path and own understanding and not in the ways of God. It is no different. Paul does not just say, I can do all things, but he qualifies it and says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Do you see that? Through Christ who strengthens me. It is Christ who gives us strength. It is Christ who sustains. It is Christ who preserves. It is Christ who keeps us. It is Christ who is our treasure. It is Christ who is our inheritance. It is him that we can do all things through. It is him who keeps us, who keeps us sane in moments that are difficult, who keeps us sane in moments that we could be losing our minds. It is Christ, the light of the world. The bread of life, it is Christ. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Again, as you look at this verse, Paul says all things. And, and this is, I think, uh, where we take the passage out of context. Paul says all things. When, when Paul says all things, he has in mind, first, the context of verse 11 and 12. To continue joyfully living for God even in difficult circumstances, these are all things that he mentions. To live in abundance and to live in need, in contentment. Secondly, he has in mind anything in line with the will of God. Like living a holy life in the midst of a perverse world or, or staying faithful in an unfaithful world. When he says all things, he, he does not mean that he can jump from a five-story building or, or run the comrades' marathon barefoot. He, he does not mean that. 
He is not thinking about, about um, those things, to say, I, I can run from here to Zimbabwe uh, because of Christ who strengthens me. Paul does not have that in mind. What, what he has in mind is the fact that Christ is the source of his strength, and, and everything that Christ is calling him to do, he will strengthen him for. See, true contentment is the, the result of the outworking of God's strength in an, in an un, uh, otherwise weak believer. When you spot a content believer, you've just spotted a man or a woman who is being strengthened by Christ. Is that you? Is that you this morning? Do you depend on Christ to strengthen you to live for him in any and every circumstance? In moments of strength, where you are, you are thriving uh, financially, where you are thriving in terms of your health, where you are thriving in other areas of your life, even in moments of weakness, where you're not even thriving in any of those areas, are you trusting in him? Are you content in him? Is that you? Are you that man? Are you that woman who is being strengthened by God? You see, it is only when we realize that Christ is all we need, that, that he is the greatest treasure that is incomparable to none. It is only then we will be content. Ultimately, when we learn contentment, we don't learn it from just Paul here. We learn it from Christ himself. We learn contentment from Christ, from our Lord himself. He, he left the glories of heaven. He left the riches of heaven to be born of a woman. He was content to fulfill the the will of the Father, even though that will meant that he will die on the cross. He, he was content to, to, to be on the cross and to exchange his righteousness for our sin to be upon him. As, 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 as 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, he was made, he, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we may be the righteousness of God in Christ. He was content to do the Father's will. He, he was content to come down from heaven so that to, to, to die for us so that we may be the children of God, to reconcile us back to God. He, he was content to do that. Amen. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Christ, Christ who enables us to have a thankful heart in the midst of difficult situations and circumstances, Christ who calls us to be disciples, students of the word, to, to learn in the midst of trials, Christ who calls us to depend upon him, saying all who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. Christ, who's our king, who's our master, who's our Lord and savior. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' blessed name we pray. Amen.